Hello and welcome to today's episode of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? It's going good. Um, you, you sound like you're, you're not in your normal state today. That's correct. This is a little bit of a different, uh, little different week. Don't have the ability to send the clear audio file or to have the best connection because I am most decidedly out of the country. Yeah, you're in Canada. It's the annual SBC This Week from Canada episode. That's correct. Third summer in a row we have um, a Canada episode, it seems. And uh, this year, I am in Ontario, up on uh, Lake Huron, in uh, Kilbear Provincial Park camping. Or, I think it's called glamping, where Uh, you're in an RV. Well, for me, that'd be camping. Glamping would be like at the the Hilton Garden Inn or something. Still still pretty rustic, but at least we get to lock the door at night, and and we have electricity and all of that. Keep the critters out. Yes, which we have. We're raccoons that are hanging around in our... Spot. Oh, it's good. To, it's good to be able to lock the door. The parkour trash pandas. It's something like that. Yes. 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 Uh, so it, I, I just thought it was fitting this week that well, maybe not fitting. Ironic. That's probably the better word. I thought it was ironic this week that you go out of the country and the Southern Baptist Convention president J.D. Greer, the new newly elected Southern Baptist Convention president, mm-hmm. is on one of your favorite shows on NPR. Morning edition. Yes, I heard and uh, did not get to hear that this week, although maybe I'll go back and listen to the recording. Yeah, so, so it's online. We'll, we'll link to that, the Baptist Press uh, article. Actually, they ran an article about it as well. So it's a great interview, about seven or eight minutes with J.D. Greer. So we'll link to that. If you haven't heard that, go hear that. That actually reminds me one morning, and I may have talked about this on that uh, the episode that week. I'm not sure. But one morning, I did have my alarm set to come on with the radio and morning edition came on and there was some situation out in California. I cannot remember what was going on and I'm, I'm not making this up. I, um, I, I know you'll like this and probably some of our listeners will. They interviewed Wiley Drake. It was probably some of the immigration stuff that his church was doing. Maybe so. It's been, it's been a very long time, but they, it is, I'm not kidding. They interviewed him. And I was in that state where I was kind of still a little foggy, half asleep, and I actually thought I had dreamed it. Why is Wiley and, Drake and on I my radio? Had, yeah, like I was, you know, that that I was hearing Wiley Drake in sort of the cloudiness of the morning, and then I went and looked it up, and sure enough, he had been on there. So. Wow. That's amazing. All yeah. right. Well, w- before we get into the, uh, the the little bit of news that we have this week, we do want to thank our sponsor, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, located in Louisville, Kentucky, where Taylor Swift will be uh, this weekend, is committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral programs at Southern by visiting sbts.edu. Now, now Taylor won't be at Southern. She'll be at, she'll be at the stadium in Louisville. So... Just to be clear, right, I really can't believe you did that, and I I want to be clear to our sponsors that I did not write that ad copy. Yeah, so. well, they'll appreciate it, I'm sure. All right, so jumping into this, my alma mater, big news out of yeah. the Chriswell College this past week. They have a announced a donation of five million dollars. Uh, that's going to be the lead gift for the college's first ever residence hall. Uh, the groundbreaking is tentatively set for the spring of 2019. That's a big deal. Yeah. So, I mean, they've they've only been able to reach people who could like live in the Dallas area or already lived in the Dallas area 
or you know found a roommate or something like that. They didn't have anything on campus or near the campus. I mean, they had some apartments that were near the campus, but nothing like this. They're going to have a right. an actual dorm. Uh, it looks like 52 unit, uh, 96 bedrooms, a four story dorm, a residence hall there on the campus uh, the, at the Glaston Avenue campus, and so just a, a huge bonus for that school yeah. and uh, five million dollars. That's a big gift. Absolutely. That's a game changer for recruiting for them. It really is. It really it re- is. It really is. A, a residence hall makes all the difference in the world. It just opens up a whole new market of students. Yes. And uh, so this is exciting. Uh, Barry Creamer, the president there, has only been there since 2014. He succeeded Jerry Johnson, who went to, uh, who left to be the, become the president of the National Religious Broadcasters. So uh, Dr. Creamer, huge announcement for him. I know Dr. Criswell would be proud to see this great donation and uh, the the great improvement that's going to be made there at Criswell College. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Now, it was an anonymous donor I read. Yeah, I appreciate your generosity, Amy. Yeah, thanks. I really, yeah, you, you just knew immediately that the $5 million would come from me. But at this time, we don't know who it is. It's just, it's, it's just a, someone who is very generous, has not ever given to Criswell College before. And uh, what a way to start. Absolutely. And uh, it was also a big week. Like, so you leave the country, Amy, and the Supreme Court of the United States, like news galore comes out of there. Um, you've got to time these yeah. things better because I, I need like I need your explanations whenever big things happen like this. Because whenever I hear something right. about the Supreme Court, the first thing I do is text you and go, what's this mean? Yeah. Huge week this week. So we're going to cover just a few little things. And I'll let you kind of take it from here. Not the least of which was the announcement of the retirement of Anthony Kennedy, which that's really huge. But I want to cover that last. So talk about the rulings, Amy, okay. first. Since I don't have everything in front of me, the names are not rolling off the top of my head. Okay. So can you name the cases? Well, we had one involving unions and forcing non-union members to pay dues right. uh, to unions, even though they're not members of them. That was one. Right, and I believe that one came out on Monday. Yeah, and that one got shot down, and that was a a big win for kind of uh, free speech, religious liberty type things because it, it's somewhat connected to the the same principles behind the Stutzman case, uh, which was vacated. That's something else we'll talk about. You can talk about that here, uh, as well as the sure. you know the the cake shop, uh, the masterpiece cake shop case. You know the participation against your conscience. Yeah. So the idea was that. You cannot force non-union members, people cannot force non-union employees to pay union dues because, um, you know, when, when the unions do their work, they are, they're really speaking um, politically in a lot of situations. And so it's the idea that, that the government or the, it's the idea that you cannot force someone to say something that they don't want to say. And that was a big one, and it was a big one because it kind of shot down a, uh, something that's been in place for a long time. Mm-hmm. That sort of kicked the week off. And then the next thing that happened um, was the word that they were not going to take up the case of um, Baronel Stutzman, which would be was Arlene, Arlene's Flowers, Yes, um, I believe, the, the florist up in Oregon. Now, at first, everyone says, wait a minute, what do you mean they were not going to take it up? what they were doing is they they had sort of put it on hold while they did the uh, while they heard the masterpiece cake shop and made that ruling and then they were making the decision of what to do and they have now sent it back to the Washington uh, Supreme Court and uh, to 
rule again um, in light of Masterpiece Cake Shop. So more than likely, it will make it back up the chain again or something like it. They are going to have to rule. Um, they're they're going to have to rule on some of the same questions that were raised in that case, uh, but they're not going to do it this time around. Uh, so that case is not it's not done. Um, it's it's still it's still kicking. It's it's definitely one to continue watching. It'll be interesting to see if it ends up going back up. Yeah, uh, to the court, and we could see it next year. So that's one that a lot of uh, a lot of people have been following. Um, Alliance Defending Freedom is very involved in that. Uh, the ERLC has talked about that a lot um, and has helped us to you know to understand that. Uh, so we're gonna we'll certainly have uh, have more. And this you know this is a, just kind of a ton of cases. Yeah that really involve the wedding industry Mm -hmm. uh, and hitting all sorts of different questions. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when it goes back and if it ends up going back up to the Supreme Court. Yeah, and the other case was the one out in California, uh, which they said was not uh, constitutional for them to require pregnancy centers to uh, provide information about abortion services. So it's kind of along the same lines, that that conscience, that freedom of conscience thing, very similar. Right. So the idea is that the government cannot tell these pregnancy centers um, what to put in their, um, what information to put in their, uh, on their property. And essentially saying this is content. You are legislating content and saying that they have to share this. Um, and that, that you're even asking them to share or telling them to share something that goes against what what the purpose of their organization is and that the government cannot step in and do that. Now, Justice Thomas wrote the majority opinion, um, but I want to read something from a concurrent opinion from Anthony Kennedy. And it talked about uh, how the, the law, the law in California that was trying to do this, and they had two things they had. uh, They wanted crisis pregnancy centers that did not offer other medical services, they wanted that to be put out there, that this we do not offer other medical services. And then ones that did had to put um, somewhere about the fact that low-cost abortions were available until uh, tell why, I mean, until where. So this was where the court essentially said, you, you just can't, you can't do that. Um, in Anthony Kennedy's concurrent opinion, he said, that law was a paradigmatic example of the serious threat presented when government seeks to impose its own message in the place of individual speech, thought, and expression. And then he rebuked what he described as the California legislature's congratulatory statement that this law was part of California's legacy of forward thinking. So he, so California basically was saying this is their forward thinking um, the legislature kind of, I almost, uh, you know, kind of victory laps over it. And then he said this, it is not forward thinking to force individuals to be an instrument for fostering public adherence to an ideological point of view they find acceptable. And then he said, it is forward thinking to begin by reading the First Amendment as ratified in 1791 to understand the history of authoritarian government as the founders then knew it, 
to confirm that history since then shows how relentless authoritarian regimes are in their attempts to stifle free speech and to carry those lessons onward as we seek to preserve and teach the necessity of freedom of speech for generations to come. So some pretty strong language. Yeah, he went like old school too. Like he went all the way back to 1791 with that. He he did. So use some, some pretty strong language for um, the state of California to say, this is not forward thinking. Uh, this is a place we don't want to go. So that, um, I think, was a really, really strong ruling uh, that was released today. So definitely a big week, a big week for um, for speech, particularly when it comes to forced speech that goes against someone's ideological um, beliefs. Yeah, and, and that seems to be where the, the court is headed uh, with a lot of these decisions. Uh, I mean, we've seen it time after time after time, the, the last few rulings. Uh, it's been a, a bit of a watershed session uh, in the Supreme Court for rulings like this uh, th- in the past couple of weeks. Right. So we've seen that. And yeah. and then, you know, top all of that off with yes. Anthony Kennedy announcing his retirement. Man, this is the big one. This is the one that really everyone has been waiting for because um, we have justices retire all the time. Uh, but this was the one that kind of no matter, no matter what, uh, no matter who was in uh, the White House, no matter who was in, uh, had the majority of Congress, uh, this particular um, appointment has the potential to, uh, to, to reshape in a way because he was uh, such a figure, um, that, such a decisive figure in so many cases. He was the swing vote so much, you know, so you had other other retirements that um, when they come, if if a if you have someone in the White House who has maybe their kind of their same ideological bent, uh, nothing really changes. You know, it stays the same. And uh, and and we've even we've even seen that Gorsuch was certainly an appointment that a lot of people were excited about, yeah. but he was that was like for like. Yeah, he replaced someone that was was very similar in many ways to him. And, and we saw some of the same when uh, George W. Bush was president and he replaced uh, William Rehnquist and um, Sandra Day O'Connor. And in some ways, now O'Connor had uh, was maybe a little bit less predictable, but it was again, keeping things somewhat the same. It wasn't necessarily a major moment for change. Uh, This particular appointment was going to offer that opportunity no matter who it is because on many cases you just never knew where uh, Justice Kennedy was going to land um, at a given moment. And so he he will go down in history uh, for sort of that like tie-breaking vote that he would cast because in so many 5-4 decisions uh, he's the one and you just never, never were certain which direction that he would go. So this is a pretty, this is a pretty big deal um, for this administration. And it's certainly uh, something that I think Southern Baptists, I think evangelicals are, are watching closely because of cases like the ones that, that we've seen this, this week. You're exactly right, Amy. And uh, Dr. Moeller on the briefing this week had a, a I think it was on Thursday's episode, had a, a good recap of the career of Anthony Kennedy and, and, 
all those big decisions that he's been a part of that you mentioned there. So uh, I recommend people go maybe check that out as well. And that's going to do it for our news this week. Not a whole lot of Southern Baptist news out there this week. Things still kind of, uh, you know, kind of slow in, in the Southern Baptist world, which is typical of this time of year. So uh, we'll get through things and uh, things I'm sure will pick up in the next couple of weeks. So instead of uh, more news, we've got a great audio clip for you here. This is from the SBC annual meeting uh, on the CP stage. I had a chance to sit down with Willie Rice and Dean and Sarah. Uh, Willie's a lead pastor at Calvary Clearwater. Dean is at City Church in Tallahassee to talk to them about Calvinism, not the theological components of it, but just how to uh, how non-Calvinists and Calvinists should and can coexist in the SBC. And uh, so here's the audio from that. We appreciate all the guys over at the executive committee for letting us use this. So here's the interview from the annual meeting. Uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about Calvinism. I, I know it's been a rather hot topic as of late in the SBC, uh, but it, it seems to be an easier target for some greater divisions within the SBC. Do you think the Calvinism is a kind of a one-size-fits-all scapegoat for bigger and maybe more tangible divisions in the SBC? Yes, uh, I, I think. Right. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of there's a lot of partisanship right now. I, I wish there weren't, but there there is, and I think it's one of those issues that uh, people want to raise up, and and it becomes a divisive point. It becomes. Uh, one of the things that is like, let's talk about this. So do we have to talk about these other things here? So I do think it's one of those things that it's kind of like dividing the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees that Paul did. I think it's something that people raise up to kind of divide people into camps sometimes. Yeah. And I think it, it also lacks definition. It does. We'll just yep. declare someone to be a Calvinist. Like, well, what do you mean by it? We're talking tulip. Then are you all five? Like, as you pull one pedal off? I mean, all Baptists at least believe in one or two of those. So, so, least, exactly, yeah. so a lot of people who are called Calvinists maybe are, on, if we're just using Tulip as the example, are maybe four point or three point. But so I, I just think one thing that's really, really missing in the conversation that causes us to lack nuance, to lack grace, is there's no definition about what someone actually means by that. That's, that's so it's some yeah. strange tent that gets everyone gets put under. Yeah, that's absolutely true, and it's part of the challenge of this that you just kind of touched on. You. If, if you have five guys that even accept the label Calvinist, they sometimes mean five different things. I, I don't know, three, four, five. Uh, you know, I hear guys saying, I'm a soft Calvinist, I'm a hard Calvinist. Uh, you know, it's like you have to put a modifier on it. And so it means different things to different people, both who are proponents of it and both who are opponents of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I consider my, I think of myself as a Calvinist. My Presbyterian friends basically think I'm Methodist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, what is, so again, what is the definition it's even It's a spectrum. Mean? Yeah, I guess. It, it very much is a spectrum. Yeah. Which is part of the beauty of Southern Baptist life. Under the Baptist Faith and Message banner, we can exist on the spectrum and should be able to get along. So how do we push back against uh, just kind of that one-size-fits-all, throwing everything in the, the bucket instead of dealing with these other issues? I, I, my, my first thought is let's, let's develop new litmus tests for fellowship. And, uh, like, for, for example, I, I don't even ask the question. This might be naive, but when we're hiring a staff member, when we are, um, you know, appointing an elder, Calvinism doesn't even come up in the conversation. Like, I, I want to know what they believe to be true about the scriptures. I, I want to know where they stand on the Baptist faith and message. I want someone who will sign that statement of faith without even flinching. Th th that's what we look for. So, so I'm still looking for and waiting to see the Calvinists that everyone is scared of. I know everybody met some crazy Calvinist in youth group who just read an R.C. Sproul book for the first time. 
doesn't know how to channel it. You know, we call them cage Calvinists. But that's that's, but if we're really honest, that's not the majority. I mean, it's these true. are guys that are educated in our in our seminaries uh, that are evangelistic, that love the good news. And I, I think where it begins is just taking a deep breath and being honest about what it really is and what it really is not. Yeah, and probably the answer is getting beyond those superficial labels, what he's saying, and, and going a little bit deeper. You know, the stock answer I have for years, if somebody comes to our church and, you know, asks me, are you a Calvinist, is, well, what do you mean by that? You, you define it for me, and then I can react to it, because, again, five people define it in five different ways. So I think it is just pushing beyond the, the you know, characterizing one another in very superficial, flippant ways. What do you mean by that? What does a person really believe about that? All right, now, Dean's already kind of touched on this, but I want you to expound on it more. I'm going to start with you. Do you talk about soteriology when you're interviewing staff members? Oh, sure. I mean, you're going to talk about theological issues, uh, but I am not going to. I might bring up the Calvinism issue, depending on a situation, but it would be more of not just a label. Tell me what you believe. Where do you stand on soteriology? And if they throw out some flag term, I would probably explore it. I mean, if a guy sat in front of me and said, well, I'm a Calvinist, I'd say, well, tell me what you mean by that. Let's go into that. Uh, and then I might have a follow-up question. Well, do you think this about that? Uh, just to see whether they're that hard Calvinist or a modified Calvinist or whatever. But it's not a deal breaker when a guy tells me he's leaning one way or another. I want to get, I want to, I want to know their heart. I want to know, have they really thought through those issues? And most of all, to me, it always comes down to, are you passionate about evangelism and missions? Show me a guy who's on mission. Show me a guy who cares about lost people. And that just tells me about almost everything I need to know. Yeah, and I think that's the key. It's not a deal breaker. Right. And that's what I respect and appreciate. So when I say that we don't ask them that, of course, we talk about theology in the interview. We talk about soteriology, in fact, but we don't get into the nitty gritty of, you know, what, po what points do you affirm? I want to know, what do you believe about the Bible? Like this document called, or this statement of faith called the Baptist Faith and Message. How do you align here? I, I want to know, like, what, what authors are you reading? And I just want to make sure those guys are legit and, and that they believe about the gospel. We believe to be true about the gospel. And, and I think what, what needs to happen is that it, it's just gotten so malicious. I mean, there are, are, are churches that in their search for a pastor, put in their qualifications, not someone who is reformed. Well, a lot of these, not, not, a lot of these are lay folks that having spent a lot of time even understanding what that means, they're being told that by somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's given these false caricatures of people who are brothers who are serious about theology, serious about evangelism. I, I was sitting next to a guy at a, at a wedding rehearsal dinner, uh, out of town a few weeks ago, and I had just recently saw their document from their church about their pastoral search, and he was a chairperson, and it said, no one from the Reformed movement needs to apply. And my thought was, well, one, what does that mean? And second, man, you just disqualified yourself from a lot of great guys. So I challenged him on it, and his immediate response was, well, he's, he's a law enforcement officer. He's not a pastor. And he said, well, you know, those guys don't believe in evangelism. And I said, what? Like, like, like where, where did you get that? Who, who are these people? Mm -hmm. Like, I still haven't met these kind of folks. And uh, I think it just needs to stop. I, I just think we need to have like a call for our convention just to stop the nonsense when it comes to that stuff, mm -hmm. because it's not true. It's not true. And I mean, and you know, I mean, look, we, I can name you churches right now, five in a row who might lean reform for like whatever the definitions are, who are crushing it in evangelism and baptism. Why? Because they're so convinced of the sovereignty of God that it drives them to go tell their friends about them. 
<laughs> you know, and that's uh, that, that's where we need to go, in my opinion. I would never hire a staff member who didn't have a passion for evangelism. If there were a guy who had a Calvinistic, a really hard Calvinism, and that caused him to question whether or not Jesus died so that anyone who believes and repents can be saved, if they don't believe that, I don't want them working for us. I, I want them having a heart for people around the world. And so if your system of theology leads you away from a passion to share the gospel with everyone, I sure don't want you working for me. But I don't believe that just because you have a label that that necessarily means that. In fact, it often does not. Yeah, because I don't think it's Calvinism that's doing no, that. I think, it's, right. I think it's a, yeah. a, a kind of a functional separatism. I think it's Christian bubbles. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, it's, it's being so immersed in Christian culture you don't know together. lost yeah, people. Yeah. I, I think those are the things that are happening. And let's just be honest. Like, the, the hot-button issue is always limited atonement, particular redemption, whatever you want to call it. Like, let's just be honest about what that is. And when we are, then good Christians, even Southern Baptists, can still coexist, even on the same church staff, and differ on it. All limited atonement is, is either I believe that Jesus' death accomplished salvation or that it made salvation possible. Just one of those two things. Personally, I believe that it accomplished salvation. You can believe differently than me, and we're mm-hmm. friends and go to lunch, and it never come up. And we can serve on the same committees and preach in each other's churches. Why? Because we believe that Jesus died, period. And the implications of that aren't up to us. Yeah. The telling of the good news is. Yeah, and, yeah. and well, you mentioned, you know, being able to believe different things and still cooperate. But, but there are instances where we see that people will not cooperate with across soteriological lines. How do we combat that? How do we... You know, work toward that Baptist faith and message number fourteen, the the cooperation uh, point in Baptist faith and message. How, how do we instill that, and at the same time, you know, while we respect one another's different views on soteriology? Well, it's the mission that's going to drive unity. I mean, it's our it's the fact that we may disagree on some fine points in soteriology and in other areas of theology, but those are going to be tertiary, secondary issues compared to the fundamental issues that make us one in Christ. So it's knowing what those fundamental issues are. And then, of course, it's always in Baptist life the mission that brings unity, the mission that draws us together and says, hey, let's work together, even though we, you know, one guy, you know, wears a a suit and the next guy wears tennis shoes to preach. Who, Who cares as long as we're trying to win people to Christ and advance the mission? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like a married couple when someone leaves dirty dishes in the sink and the one spouse blows up over it. It's like you're really not mad about the dishes. There's something else that happened a long time before it wasn't resolved, and the dishes just kind of brought it all out. We can't be afraid to call a spade a spade. And, and the division, it really, I just do not believe, maybe I'm naive here, I, I just don't think the deep divisions in the SBC are over soteriology. I think that's what we're using to disguise power and disguise pride and camps and tribalism. Where again, something as something as simple as how you believe that the atonement was carried out. I know there's deep, complex theological implications to this, but like we're really like people who align on the inerrancy of Scripture and on the Great Commission and on these essential truths who are standing against the incoming you know onslaught of culture against the church. Like we're really going to divide over: Do I believe Jesus' death accomplished salvation or made it possible? I'm just not buying that. That's really what it's about. And I think we can't be afraid to go, hey, man, the same ca- you're railing against Calvinists and while you're quoting Spurgeon, okay? <laughs> like, let, let, let's think about here. Or you're telling someone who has a great theological education, who's been sharing the gospel his entire life, 
that he has a small view of the gospel because he's not a Calvinist. Get that out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that, that's not really what it's about. It's about pride, power, tribalism, and we can't be afraid to say that out loud. So how do we avoid the mischaracterizations on both sides? Start with Willie. Repent. <laughs> right. I'm expecting you to drop the mic and just walk off stage at any point now. I think you avoid the mischaracterizations by, by having conversations like this and, and just by talking and by listening. I, I don't, you're not going to avoid them entirely because I think what you just intimated, there are people that don't want to avoid them, that want to use this issue in a partisan way. And by the way, I think that's on both sides of the fence. I, I, I certainly think there are some reform ministries who spend a lot of time talking about reform theology more than they spend talking, uh, you know, there are some reform ministries. That's their banner. They wave it. We could talk about some very popular teachers, uh, you know, uh, like John Piper, who we all love and quote. But that's a banner he waves. Everyone gets that. That's far more important to him than denominational affiliation. And so it does create a bit of a partisanship. Like, he's going to talk about that all the time. But I think we need to work hard. We need to work hard not to mischaracterize by throwing labels and names around without really listening to one another and, and, and push back on some of the false characterizations. I've heard people say things about Calvinists I know that are not true. And I need to push back on that and say, you know, you're not being fair to that brother. Yeah, I, I think we need to start just deciding not to make it a thing in our conversations. Like, if you're going to get a chance to sit down with another pastor over lunch, it's a fact you only have so many lunches to give. You have a chance to learn from each other, support one another, encourage one another. Like, let's almost, like, call for, <laughs> like, a, a, a suspension of bringing it up because that's really what we want to talk about and all these things we can – like, if we're having lunch together, like, I want to learn, like, what's the secret sauce in, in Clearwater as you're right. knocking down the Scientologists? You know, that's what I want to know about, you know. Uh, but uh, so I think it's just – let's just be really honest. And I think there is a lot of repentance that's needed. I think there's false witness towards brothers. I do. I think that's happening as well. And there's just a lot of arrogance on both sides of the fence. I'm sorry, but my there's a lot of my, my Calvinistic brothers. We didn't invent the gospel or gospel centrality. <laughs> we didn't believe those things. We, we didn't invent those things. And for my non, I don't really think you can be a Southern Baptist and be a full blown Arminian. No, because you not. believe in eternal security. Yeah. Right. So don't call people Arminians that aren't. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> and 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 from and from there realize that like th- these are. You're, you're, you're reformed 4.3.75, you know, whatever points they are as a Calvinist. Man, they're trying just like you are to reach their friends for Christ. They're, they're trying just like you are to figure out how to get someone to come to church. You know, they're trying to figure out just like you are how to close the back door and move somebody into membership. And like, there's a reason why there's so many people, thousands who are here at this convention this week. And it's because we have this big, huge tent that we can be under, but under the narrow definition of our belief in the scriptures and our, and our, you know, uniting cooperatively together for the Great Commission. So we affirm those things, then let's let other folks at the table and not care if whether or not the first book they read is Charles Stanley or R.C. Sproul. Right. All right. So give me a, maybe just a quick example of something from your ministry where you've been kind of mischaracterized and how you've dealt with it. And maybe, maybe you dealt with it poorly and, and how you should have dealt with it, or maybe you dealt with it well. And, you know, just some examples, sir. The guys and ladies that are sitting out here, uh, that are then watching online, that that can maybe take it, you know, take it and take it back with them. I I mean, I think again, there are caricatures we all deal with. The caricature that some in our reform camp would say to those who are non-Calvinist is, "You don't take theology seriously," or as Dean said, uh, 
you know, the gospel-centered is all the buzzword right now. Like, I hear that and I think, poor Adrian Rogers. If only he had known the gospel. Well, think what he could have probably. I mean, that the gospel wasn't discovered the week before last. You know, uh, this has been a gospel-centered convention before that was ever a buzzword. So I, I think that is a, a misrepresentation sometimes that comes out of the reform camp. You guys aren't serious about theology. You've never read a book. And, and, and you're all about whatever. Um, hey, there are people who have taken theology seriously for a long, long time in this convention, and they didn't, they weren't in leaning in the reform camp. Not a single one of the conservative presidents that turned the convention around in the 80s would lean in the reform camp. So there have been a lot of people, you know, who came before you who are serious about the gospel, serious about theology, and would honestly disagree about some aspects of soteriology. So I think that's a mischaracterization that sometimes, you know, people will have of, of non-Calvinists. Yeah, I'd assume you never had read a book because you're a Gator fan. That's a whole I, other conversation yeah, 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 for another time. Hey, I, got, I finished one last week, man. So it was... <laughs> You know, I, I think that uh, really what you said, that, that early on being young in ministry and just kind of getting exposed to the doctrines of grace for the first time, there's that thought of uh, thinking that your tribe's the first people who have ever discovered theology right, before. Right. And then you realize, again, just how ridiculous that is. So it probably aired on that side a little bit. Uh, what I want to say, uh, say today uh, to those who have paved the way is these now a lot of younger adults i'm 37 the one place in the world where i'm still considered young is in the sbc so I'm, i'll take it uh but but you know we we are like we were born on orthodox third base right you know we were handed all of this but now like we're getting a chance to live out what was fought for mm-hmm. like a love for the word a love for theology and i would just ask that rather than try to blow the whistle and try to throw labels that the the older generation, not that it's not that soteriology is by generation, but a lot right. of the argument sure. seems to be. I think it's more yep. cultural than generational, but yep. just for that argument, like l- let's instead go, wow, wow, yes, mission accomplished, like, right. and, and still being accomplished. Like look what's happened. There are seminaries that are teaching the word, and there are pastors who love to use the to say the word gospel, mm-hmm. and then they and love that's to, a good thing. yeah, it's a wonderful thing. So I, I I just wish there'd be more of a celebration. Of people being serious, like, yeah, yeah, and saying, "Wow, look!" And also, my generation being well aware that what do you have you didn't receive. Yeah. The answer for us is nothing, you know. Yeah, and yeah. we, I, we were born on Orthodox third base in the SBC. Uh, we're too young to know outside of reading history, which matters, but we weren't there. And our our job is to thank God for those who have gone before mm-hmm. us, and now to be faithful stewards of it by contending for the word, being serious about the gospel, and being full speed ahead, urgency, and winning our friends for Christ. All right, last thing, we got just a minute left. One resource that you may recommend to people uh, to maybe help them work through this. Yeah, one that comes to mind. I mean, I, I mean, I, it, it, I think of resources that enforce one side or the other of, of the camp. So I'm not sure that's what you're looking for there. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Norman Geisler's Chosen But Free is a, you know, a book that deals with this issue from a decidedly non-Calvinist viewpoint. But I I read books on both sides, you know. Uh, Packers, Evangelism, and Sovereignty of God. That's a great it, book. A short I read that read to help you with some of the tensions. I think that's really, but in terms of the, how how to solve relationally and yeah. and those kind of things, I think it's relational okay. more than it is resources. I agree. Yeah. yeah. All right. Excellent, Jonathan. And I actually didn't get to be there to hear that. So yeah, you had a book signing. You're a big deal. Um, I had to miss that panel. So I uh, I'm I'm glad you got a chance to share it here. Yeah. Well, thank you. So thanks for listening to it this time, Amy. Uh, all right, so that's going to go bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. 
All right. So I thought since it was a real focus on Supreme Court justices this week, we'd go back to 1960. A prominent Baptist layman died this week in 1960, Judge William R. Wallace. Uh, and Freedom! Uh, he was... Yes. And he was a... Um, Not that a William US Wallace. District, no. He was a U.S. District Judge. Uh, and actually, I've got two uh, things to put in the show notes. One is a Wikipedia article about him. The other is the Baptist Press issue from June 30th. Uh, there are conflicting dates. Um, so it was either June 24th or June 25th. He died in a car accident, but he was, um, I believe, maybe 74 years old. Um, so had lived a, a long, long life. Um, he was a member of Trinity Baptist Church in, uh, he was in Oklahoma City. He also uh, was president of the board of directors of the Baptist Foundation of Oklahoma. He was a trustee of Oklahoma Baptist University. And uh, from 1937 until 1960, had provided $50 a year for an annual cash award presented to the outstanding history student at OBU. So he was very involved in um, Baptist life, specifically in Oklahoma. Um, his pastor preached the sermon of the funeral, but the um, executive secretary treasurer of the BGCO, T.B. Lackey, and um, Augie Henry, who was executive secretary treasurer of the Baptist Foundation of Oklahoma, they both assisted with the funeral. So it was a really big deal and said almost a thousand people um, including practically every judge, lawyer, and prosecutor in town crowded uh, in there, that he was noted for his leniency with first offenders and his heavy sentences uh, for those who were violating the law a second or third time. Um, but when you look, so that was in the Baptist Press article, yeah. when you look at when you look at the Wikipedia article, you, you learn a little bit about him to know that he was nominated by um, Harry S. Truman, to uh, that seat on the U.S. District Court in 1950 and uh, was confirmed by the Senate on June 2nd, 1950, and uh, then started on June 8th and did that until, uh, until he died. So I thought it was very interesting and fitting that we're talking about um, the highest court in the land, but another judge uh, another judge died this week and was a prominent Baptist, was committed uh, to Baptist in Oklahoma, and it all happened this week in SBC history. All right, so you mentioned the $50 cash award. I guess you got to find yes. somebody to pay you $50 for you being the, the award-winning history student at Southeastern this year. Well, tell I Keith, tell you, tell Keith real, that he owes you 50 yeah. bucks. I, I will. Tell I, the I'll dean. tell you, that's a, a, <laughs> that's a great thing to know that he honored the, the students in that way. And uh, it sounds like he was just a, a great citizen. He'd been a county judge, member of the Oklahoma State Senate, um, chairman of the Oklahoma Public Welfare Commission. So really a great citizen of the state of Oklahoma and um, committed uh, committed Southern Baptist. Yeah. Well, and tell Keith, instead of $50, that was like in 1960. So it, inflation, it's like 200 now. So he owes you like 200 bucks. American, not Canadian. Know. Thank you. American, not nice. Canadian. Because yeah, the, the exchange rates and all that, yeah, we don't want to do that. So, that's all right, great. works so, really well when you're buying something, not when you're receiving. Exactly, exactly. Um, oh, I need a Canada update real quick before we get to the resources of the week. How many Wonder Bars have you had this week? 
Actually, I haven't had any yet. What is wrong with you? Back down. Well, because we stopped in Pennsylvania, we got some shoe fly pie, we got all sorts of, we stopped in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and we got a bunch of chocolate there. So we've been all stocked up on the dessert. So I just decided I would stop at the store and get a lot of Wonder Bars to take back over the border with me Okay. have after, after I get home. Don't get too many because we don't so. want to have to bail you out of customs police or whatever there may be up there. I've so. I have gone through with a huge Wonder Bar stash before, okay. and it's all okay. It's all okay. All no, right. no, yeah, okay. they're okay with that one. All right, good. Yeah. They kind of laugh right. at me. They kind of laugh at me with my stash, but, you know. Well, you're probably not the only one. All right, so that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Your resource of the week is? Our resource of the week is um, uh, one that I've shared before, but it is actually out and available now. It's a new book by Kristen Padilla, who is at Beeson uh, Divinity School and is a good friend of uh, yours and mine. And uh, it's called Now That I'm Called, and it is specifically written for uh, women. It's about discerning a call to uh, ministry. So you have a lot of women who feel a call to Christian ministry of some sort. I've um, experienced that, but how, you know, how, how do you kind of process that and, and what next? And Kristen is just a really, really uh, great uh, thinker, very articulate. And uh, so I think, I think that's a, a, a really big contribution right now. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to getting my copy. All right, Amy, that is a, a good one there. I think Kristen's got a copy on our way to both of us. Uh, so uh, Yay. we, uh, I was chatting with her the other night, and uh, I think she's, she's going to send us a copy of that. So I'm looking forward to that, giving that to Beth. I know Beth would enjoy that, and I know you will enjoy it as well. My resource of yes. the week is a new book from Ronnie Floyd, our good friend Dr. Ronnie Floyd, past president of the SPC, got a new book out called Living Fit. And it's uh, how yeah. your uh, physical life, emotional life, spiritual life, uh, you know, all that ties together. And a really good little book from B&H that just came out. So you can get that now and uh, check that out. So we'll link to that. You can pick those up. Uh, so two good books this week uh, that we're recommending is our resources of the week. And uh, Amy, I'm going to let you go because I know that you know, you're probably ready to get back to vacation. Uh, I, I drug yeah. you out of vacation back into the real world. I've done that a couple of times this week, and you keep threatening to stay in Canada. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna you let never you know. go. I haven't come back over the border yet. Yeah. So. Well, I tweeted that out that I was expecting any day with all this. I mean, it wasn't bad news this week, just a lot of news, a lot of big news, and then you had the shooting today in uh, in uh, Maryland, which uh, right. was just a terrible, terrible thing in the newsroom there in Maryland uh, at the Capitol Gazette. Uh, but, uh, you know, just some, some bad news there and just uh, a lot of the Supreme Court stuff going on. And I'm just like, I keep waiting for Amy to text me saying, we're just going to stay in Canada. And Yep. Well, you never know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Saturday's the, Saturday's the big day. <laughs> I got last two days to wait and see if you make it back into the States. So. Yeah, the last last uh, item on the agenda is a Toronto Blue Jays game. So we'll see if I make it across the border after that. Amy, you've got to come back next week because... It would really be out of place if you did your Declaration of Independence reading in Canada instead of back home right. in the States, because that's next right. week, so July 4th. Do, yeah, that's right. So I do really need to be in uh, North Carolina on Wednesday so that I can read the Declaration of Independence aloud to my family Yes, and watch a Capital Fourth that's on right. PBS. That's right. You're missing all the NPR and PBS up there in Canada. Right. Now, everyone's getting excited here because Canada Day is on um, Sunday. Yeah, so we're going to actually be 1st. leaving the country right before. Yeah. Um, but 
so I'll be sad to miss Canada Day, but I, uh, I have Independence Day uh, to look forward to. So let me encourage all listeners, sit down, read the Declaration of Independence. Or have Amy read it to you, because I think I have a link to a SoundCloud of Amy reading it. Yes, that gets shared every year. Yes. I'm so glad I, so glad I did that. Yes. That was intended for one, uh, for one person. And, and now uh, we all uh, get to share it and benefit from it. See, isn't that right. great? Isn't and that the wonder he, of the internet? Yeah, it really is. I, I I wanted I wanted our mutual friend Lizette Dillinger to hear a reading of the Declaration of Independence, and uh, it didn't occur to me that she would probably post it on SoundCloud. So it's just the gift that keeps on giving um, from like six years ago. So yeah, yeah enjoy the Fourth of July, everybody. Ten fingers, ten toes. Nothing crazy with the fireworks. And we'll see you next week. See you next week.